and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food, and this week I'm with Connor Spacey, chef, culinary director of Food Space Island, and one of the movers and shakers behind the Chef's Manifesto, a community of over a thousand chefs in 110 countries making real change in the world of food. We know where the food system is at, we know how much food is wasted globally, we know the figures. So we all contribute to that. So we are all wasters. Connor's book, Wasted, is packed with recipes for the kitchen waste we all have in our homes. And it's ingenious. I asked him where his mission to teach the world how to eat to save the planet came from. For me, when I started in the hospitality industry as a trainee chef many, many years ago, at this stage, seeing waste firsthand made me really uncomfortable. And, And don't forget, at that time, I'm going back 35 years, so at that time... It wasn't around environment. The word sustainability didn't really exist, you know, in terms of how it does today. It was just being uncomfortable with seeing waste. Mm -hmm. As I started on my my, um, career as as a chef, it, it became really noticeable and I was never really comfortable with it. I mean, let's tell that story of the turkeys in the hotel yeah. trying to persuade the manager to, to let you do something about it. I mean, what was happening? Yeah, so at, at that particular stage, it, it was Christmas time, um, a very, very busy hotel, lots of uh, Christmas parties and so, so on were going on, lots, as you can imagine, of, you know, whole turkeys and hams and everything being cooked on a daily basis. And at, when they were finished prepping, when the chefs were finished prepping the turkeys, They'd come back to me. Um, at that stage, I was a kitchen porter. So I was washing up. I wasn't even training as a chef at that stage. And I would look at all the meat on it. And I was going, oh, my God. Like, And what I wanted to do to prove to myself was I wanted to remove everything that was left on, on, on the turkey and weigh it and be able to go. And this wasn't for economic reasons. This was just to go, do you realize that this is the amount of food that's left over? Because, because it's crazy. Yeah, and and I thought, well, hang on, I could kind of maybe kill two birds with one stone because it was a very busy place. Chefs were really, really busy and no one really had the time to do that. <clears throat> but as a kitchen porter, I did have time. And I was like, well, hang on. In my head, I thought, well, if I take the time to, you know, to, to, to take all these ingredients that were going to tr- be thrown away and go to the chef and go, OK, I'll do this. And in turn, will you train me the, just the basics? For staff dinners, you know, let's feed everyone. Um, big hotel, you know, over 100 staff had to be fed every day. It was like, let's use this food to feed them. I can put the ingredients together, but will you teach me what needs to be done? And it was a bit of a laughing joke at the time where the chef was like, listen, you know what? You just get on with washing pots and walls. Yeah, and Do as you're told. What, you do as you're told, exactly. Yeah. You know, you're, you're not here to um, ask and, uh, you know, can you do this? And you, you just do your job. And... and but I, I, I kept pushing and I kept, I kept at it. And uh, he, yeah, he eventually agreed and he goes, okay, do you know what? Because it, it got to the stage where I said, well, what if I do it my own time? So if I finish at seven o'clock today, if I've been on all day, finish at seven o'clock, that last hour, it's my time, you know, but I, I'll happily stay back, do this. So my work is done. I'll do this and in turn, you know, show me what, you know, basics of cooking and so on. So he, he eventually agreed and it got to the stage where we fed all the staff with, was, with, with food that was going to be thrown out for that entire month. Yeah. And that was an eye opener to, to them as well. Yeah. And obviously the head chef at the time would have had responsibilities around, you know, finances and meeting targets. And all. So this really helped him 
reach his targets. And for me, it was showing people what could be done. It, it's amazing because what you're talking about is good old fashioned principles. You know, I mean, any grandma would have walked into that kitchen and said, what on earth are you doing? And I bet your grandma was exactly like that. And you came from that Irish background. You know, probably, you know, money wasn't particularly forthcoming. Exactly. And you just can't afford to. Plus, there's that issue of the value of the animal. And if you're living close to the land, you value the animals around you. But what you're talking about was a food system that had already got completely out of kilter. And yeah, you came in with totally. that great big, oh, yeah. Everyone around you just went, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. And that's kind of what you're trying to do, yeah. isn't it? My biggest learning from that was that showing, rather than talking about it, was showing people yeah. it had a bigger impact yeah. than, than, than having a discussion going, we could do this. It was going, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to almost yeah. prove a point. Rolling up your sleeves. Exactly, yeah. Absolutely. And this is what you do. I mean, the journey that you've been on is is quite extraordinary. Um, You know, the Chef's Manifesto uh, is something really important. Tell us about that and how you've used the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to establish this community of, uh, what, is it 900 chefs across 110 countries? Yeah, and and growing. It's it's, it's closer to a thousand chefs now. And, you know, it's an amazing community of, of, of really like-minded people. And, and I think for me, chefs in their nature are very secretive people, i.e. we don't share recipes. You know, we're very, well, that's my dish. And, you know, I, I created that and I'm not going to show you. And you were, that's the nature of chefs. But the Chef's Manifesto kind of knocks that on the head because it, it, it is structured around the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. As you know, the 17 goals, we kind of, they're all kind of connected. And, and what you find the more you, you, you um, dive into them is that to achieve one goal, you've got to achieve all. You know, you can't achieve one on its own. Um, but the food system plays a fundamental part in all of the sustainable development goals. And somewhere along the line, um, probably six years ago, maybe a bit more, someone came up with the idea of to 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 um, accelerate achieving these goals, chefs needed to get involved because we were sitting in the centre of the food system in, in terms of where we buy our food, uh, how we cook it, the methods we use, and and food waste and so on. And also, we can um, showcase to our customers what a better food system looks like. Um, so Paul Newnham, a, a fantastic guy, was tasked with setting up the the, the chefs manifesto and. Um, at the beginning, there was a bunch of us got together in London and another bunch got together in New York. And we we got together and broke down the sustainable development goals into eight thematic areas. So basically, I mean, if you were to if you were to give the goal, every goal has a sub goal. So it's quite a lot of reading. If you were to give that to a chef, they're not going to read it. Yeah. They're going to go you know what, I haven't time to have a coffee break. I'm not going to yeah. sit down and read because, this big book. Because it is. I mean, we should just explain that it is the entire system and it is about fairness and justice yes. and it's global. It's huge. And what it did was by breaking it down into eight thematic areas, it was very easy for people to focus on the areas that they can control. Like like what? Give us an example. Well, my biggest learning, first of all, was that because I'm, I'm based in Ireland, okay, I travel a lot, but I'm based in Ireland. So to me... I only ever looked at an Irish food system, very similar to the UK in terms of our seasons and our farms and, you know, the great projects we have. I never paid attention to a system outside of that. 
But coming in with chefs that, like I remember saying, for for example, we we were talking one day in London, and I remember, you know, for me it was like, well, it's it's quite easy, guys. You eat within the seasons. You know, that's the starting. And one guy was going, well, hang on, I'm in Canada and I'm under snow and ice for six months of the year. And then there's another, you know, there's another guy from uh, one of the African an African uh, country, and he's going, you know what? weather changes and climate change, we actually, our seasons are out of kinter. So, you know, we our dry spells are too long, our wet spells are too wet, so we can't rely on food projects being ready. And that opened my entire eyes, so hang on. There's a global food system, and just because I'm in a certain part of the planet, it does actually affect me. If it doesn't straight away, it affects me long term. And I realise that the decisions I make where I am can actually affect another country before it affects me in terms of, of, of global change and climate change. And that really opened my eyes. So this community from the Chess Manifesto is like-minded people that share problems, but also solutions. So it's not fixated on the problems. We know what the problems are, but it's using food and chef's abilities and kitchens to come up with um, solutions to these problems. And that means having a discussion with everybody, every actor in, in, in the food system from farming right way through to transport to, to, uh, wholesale to retail to chefs to, and the end user for us is our customers where we can hopefully bring them on the journey. So it's really opened my, my eyes. I mean, the good thing for me about a food system, I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm 35 years as a chef. I still learn every day, you know, you know, and, and, and it's, and it's having, not only like-minded people, you know, but there's a lot of times we have people in the room who we don't agree with and don't agree with me, and, but that's important mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. It's important that we don't all sit around and go, we're all doing a great job because if we were, then we wouldn't be where we are. So it, it, it brings a, a very uh, deep conversation to the table to find solutions with people that don't necessarily agree on everything, but we agree on the end goal, but how we get there. Because it is incredibly important because you are customer facing. You are feeding people whose minds you can influence. You can tell people who are having a wonderful time how important high welfare regenerative farming is, for example, how good it is for the planet, but also how much better it that animal would taste. Uh, Exactly. You know, how much more you can do with it. The the relationship between land and what's on on your plate and climate change. So you're creating advocates. You're creating a movement. Um, I think it's terribly important. Um, And and in fact, you know, what's really I love about the little tiny, lovely little book. I love this little series. It's a a new Irish publisher, isn't it? That's uh, that's bringing out some books. It's, Just it's fantastic. Lovely. Yeah, really lovely. Yeah. And your opening statement is, I'm Connor Spacey and I'm a waster. You know, it's it's like that 12-step program. And I love that because it's like, I'm an addict. I understand that I exactly. have abused my body, myself, putting abuse out there into the world. But I'm going to, I can tell you how I'm going to take yeah. those steps towards change. And that is your attitude, isn't it? Because we've all been wasters. Exactly. And, and, and that's why that was the opening line. Because to me, any problem that exists, you have to admit you're part of the problem. You know, so it's got like going, we all, we know where the food system is at. We know how much food is wasted globally and, you know, both in the UK and Ireland. We, we know the figures. So we all contribute to that. So we are all wasters. And, and, and that way, that's why I was like, it's putting your hands up and going, I have a problem. I waste food, but let's work together to find solutions. And that's why that I thought that's the, it fits the opening line to the book because it sets the tone. 
it's not about being on a soapbox and going, we almost, it's about, we all are yeah. creating We're this all problem, in so let's together. work. To, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. It's it's a man-made crisis and it's a man-made solution and we just got to get on with it. I mean, exactly. I'm constantly asked if, you know, if it's too late. It's never too late. I was talking to somebody last night who's a, you know, climate change leader and I was telling her about you and she said, yeah, but it's, uh, you know, what I'm doing is so much more than food. And I was like, hang on, food production, food waste is the biggest problem, isn't it? When you look at... Um media and newspaper and i get the problems but we, there's a lot around fast fashion uh plastic um aviation and i get their problems but none of them contribute as much to climate change than the food system well exactly i think something like 18 percent of people fly everybody yeah. eats three times Every, a day exactly. and we yeah. all have that opportunity to change the way that we do it you know 30% less meat, for example, um, Henry Dimbleby suggested with the National Food Strategy. Um, that's easy. And you give us plenty of ways to do that. Um, just simply following what you're talking about in this book would do it, wouldn't it? If everybody did it, it, it really would. It, it and, really and the idea would. Be, yeah. And the idea behind the book as well is that while obviously there's recipes in it, the recipes are interchangeable depending on what you have in your house. Yeah. It's not... You, they're not recipes you must stick to. You can swap out ingredients for others and you, and still create delicious dishes and meals. Uh, well, and it's a different way of looking at, at food as well. I love the vegetable butchery, for example. I mean, tell us about that. Well, so I, I you know, at home, um, I'm not there a lot, but when I am, it's my space where I, I work on new ideas and a whole lot. And it, it literally, which, which, which hence the cover of the book, it literally started with a carrot, whole carrots that I had. And I thought, okay, Let's look at what we normally do. So normally we cut them, we peel them, we throw out the peels, we throw out the tops, you know, um, and then we're left with this carrot, we top and tail it. And I think, hang on, all the language and everything I'm using is the same as butchery. I thought, so if this carrot was, um, you know, a, a side of beef or it was, you know, a, a lamb or a pig, how would I, because, you know, as a chef, you're trained in butchery as well. And I'm thinking, why, why, why aren't I treating it the same? So I actually butchered it in terms of the center of the carrot was the fillet. The bottom was the belly. You know, the, 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 the tops and the, um, the carrot were, were the heads and so on. And I made all these sections out of the carrot and put it out on my table and went, this is butchery. This is the exact same as we would treat meat. And why don't we do it with vegetables and fruit? I did a lot with fruit as well. And then it was about, okay, if, if I was in a butcher shop, as a butcher, I'm trained to use every part of the animal. Usually, mainly for margin, for financial reasons, I need to get my money back. And I'm going, well, for financial reasons, obviously with the costs and inflation of food at the moment, but also for uh, food waste, I can do the same with fruit and veg. And then every fruit and veg I looked at, I noticed that actually they can all be broken into parts and use everything, every single piece of every fruit and vegetable. And then I was like, this, this, this is, it's butchery for vegetables. It just made sense to, to look at it that way. And, and you're using words, associations to challenge our thinking and retrain us. So you go, oh, yeah, of course I'm going to eat the leaves. You know, carrot yes. tops, that, that tastes great. I, I did a leaf yeah. course um, last year, I was. And the first thing you learn with your knife skills is how to cut batons. It's actually creating yes. waste. Yes. That, again, that French system yeah. is actually about waste. And you have to retrain thinking... 
why would I throw so much away? That's crazy behaviour. I know that in a professional kitchen, you'd probably put it load into to a, a vegetable stock. Well, we've changed that. So in our in, in our business and, and, and our chefs and all, we actually changed that whole mindset. So because classic cooking is about the end result of visually on a plate. And, and that, that does create lots of waste because visually I want something to look a certain way, aesthetically on a plate. And, and I get that because you eat with your eyes and it's very important. But to me, it was, well, hang on. You, food can look as delicious by using everything and not cutting something to a centimeter diameter. And, you know, it's about using everything. It's, 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 to me, it's more tasty, but it also can look delicious. So a lot of, so all our chefs and everything. But in our business, is as we totally try to change that habit, and it, it is, is habit, you know, of of actually what we do as chefs and how we can really showcase. Yeah, exactly, and that's what we all have to do. So, I mean, let's do it through your formal food moments. You know, the empty the fridge kimchi, easy peasy. It's just about doing it. Tell so us about easy. why you've started with this one. I start with it because, well, first of all, personally, it's when I, I go through a jar a week at home. It, it's my go-to. It's, it, it, it literally takes five minutes to make. It can, it can, like, obviously in the book, there's certain vegetables in it, but it, you can put anything into it. So it's, it's taking the fantastic ancient Korean recipe of, of what traditional kimchi is and kind of turning it on its head. So it's not really a kimchi as we would know it. Like it's got the spice, it's got the kick, it's got the fermented um, flavors to it, but it, 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 it uses fruit, it uses all your trimming. So the idea is that throughout the week, you keep everything, your stalks, your skins, your ends, bruised fruit, keep it all. And what I always say, empty the fridge is then it's a Friday or a Saturday, you're going to do your weekly shop, you, you have all these leftovers, make a kimchi. It'll be ready the following week and you will use it. it it's in a, it's, it's, it's like this umami flavor that can go into pretty much every single dish you're going to eat from food that you would throw out, you know, and it, it's a good way to introduce people also to a simple fermentation without bringing the science into it and overwhelming people because it is fermentation. So it's a way of going, here's a really simple fermentation that really, if you, you know, very rarely can go wrong. Um, you will love the flavors. It can be very personal to you and how spicy you want it and, you know, how funky you want it. So give us an example. Give us your last fridge kimchi. What did you do last week? My last one, um, I had cauliflower leaves. I had broccoli stalks. I had some bruised pears, bruised apple. I had a little bit of ginger with the skin on left over from a stir fry I was doing during the week. I had a clove of garlic. I had half a carrot. Um... I had some onion. I had some scallion tops um, that were kind of gone a bit woody or old, if you know what I mean, um, mature. Um, I had a stick of celery, just one stick left over. And all that um, produced about two litres of kimchi for me. And you just put you it in a jar, will, salt? You just, yeah, you put it in, a, so you salt the, the leaves first to draw out the moisture and this is this is the beginning of the ferment. This is what we call like a lacto ferment. So you 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 uh, salt it first, draws out the moisture, and then you make like a paste. So I use some chili flakes, some paprika. I put my fruit in there into the paste, uh, add in water. It becomes almost like a thick soup consistency. You rub that through all the vegetables, make sure they're massage all coated, and massage it in into a culinary jar or even a condiment jar left over from a mayonnaise yeah. or whatever you have into a glass jar. Um, make sure it's all submerged, press it down as you're doing it, and then leave it for, put the lid on, leave for at least six to seven days. 
taste it. If that's funky enough for you, put it in your fridge. If you like it funkier, leave it out for another week. So this is where you can personalize your own uh, flavors and tastes. By putting it in the fridge, it slows down the whole process and keeps it at the flavors that you personally like. Yeah, I can imagine. So every every I can imagine a whole family. You know, the kids have their labels on each of their jars, and they're having exactly. Kimchi and they all have their different ones. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's so it's easy. So and easy. you know what? It, it, and you, and it's the same with how to make your own yogurt. Your second food moment uh, again. Yeah. mind bomb. That's so easy. Tell us about how to make your own yogurt. Yeah, I suppose. Okay, I I, I deep dive into all food. It's okay. It's my job, but it's also something I love doing. So I'm really interested in the science behind food and how food works. So if we think of yogurt, it, it is bacteria. It is a culture, no different to any other ferment. It's the cultures that um, turn the, the milk to yogurt. Um, so I, I was thinking, hang on. So if I have yogurt, a large part of yogurt, and I have a little bit left in it in my fridge, that's living culture. And, I, you know, then that sparked thing. Well, if that's living culture, that's no different to me having a scoby to make kombucha or kefir grains. This is all living culture. So I thought, what do they need to, to wake them up? They need heat. So if I have milk that's gone, you know, two, three days over, it's perfect. Heat it up. Um, let it come back to room temperature, add in the culture. The culture comes alive, has a big party and, and does its work. And all, hey, presto, 24 hours later, you have another full tub of yogurt. You know, so it's just going, this makes perfect sense. And so the more I delved into it, the more, because at the time I was looking at ways around milk. So I was making ricotta cheeses and all these different things you could do with milk. And then I was looking at yogurt and going, hang on, these all connect. So in what, what are they doing in, in, in a yogurt factory? They're exactly doing that. They're heating milk. They're adding the cultures to it. That's yogurt. Why can't we do it at home? And the important thing is that, you know, what we really know now, and it's taken us so long to get back to this, it's crazy, um, is that what's good for the planet is good for the gut. Exactly. And your third food moment, well, both of those, the kimchi, the, the, the yogurt, any ferment is really, really yeah. good for the gut. And your third food moment, the cheesy kimchi toasty with Bloody Mary mayo <laughs> is a fantastic combination of using up your leftovers uh, and giving your gut a real wake a up. A real call. wake up. And that's why I kind of, in the book, kind of tongue in cheek said, you know what? If this is the, the, the morning after, the night before, this is the perfect, this is what your body's crying out for. So, you, you know, it, it, it's okay. It can be any time, but for me, it's a perfect tired or hangover cure, but it's also, it's feeding your gut. It's giving you a boost that you need. Um, and it's using everything from stale bread, just little bits of cheeses. So you have all your little ends of cheese. I love cheese. So I could have three or four or five varieties in my fridge. I'm down to the little end bits. It's like a Welsh rarebit, like a classic Welsh rarebit. Then the kimchi. And what I do is I strain the kimchi off. So I have this delicious chili sauce from the juice of the kimchi that goes into my mayo. So it's a bloody ma Mary without the vodka, basically. You know what I mean? Yeah. I thought, yeah. this just makes sense. And I made it one day, pan fried it with stale bread, you know, and it was the nicest thing I ever eaten. And I felt good after it. And, the, so, yeah. and so did the planet and my wallet. So it was just like, this <laughs> This is a win-win. It's a winner. Yeah, yeah. It's an absolute winner. Seasoning and stock and regrowing food, two really important things because you can have your vegetable scraps actually it's knowing how to make things really flavorful mm. that will keep that sustainable as a practice 
it's all very well having an intention to do something, but you've got to do it well. So seasoning in stock, first of all, is really important. Yeah, you know what? It depends on your household. If you have a bigger house, you're going to have more peelings of veg. If you, you know, if it's a smaller household, it's worth freezing them during the week. So put your peels, you know, your onion skins, everything you have into a freezer bag in your freezer. And when you have enough, it's about making delicious stock with it, which is so simple to do. You know, you're gently bring to the boil, simmer them for 30 minutes, and you've got stock that will taste even better than stock cubes and stock liquids that we might buy in supermarkets. Um, it's used up everything you have, and it then it's adding depths of flavors to other dishes from food that you would normally throw out. You know, and then even with with the once you once you've made the stock, for me, I I take whatever it's been, like the onion pieces, bits of scallions, whatever I've used for my stock. And I, I blend them because they're already cooked now at this stage. I blend them up and I add in like chickpeas and so on and make like a, like a burger out of them and, or little falafels. So it, it goes on and on. So when, when you, so all of a sudden you have vegetable scraps that would normally go at best go into a compost bin or, or but still be thrown away. You've turned them into two liters of vegetable stock. Then you've turned them into a burger or falafels or, so all of a sudden you've eaten and you've got two of the products out of it. It's granny skills, yeah, isn't it? You know? And I've always said that, like none of this no. is is new. This is all the all the answers to me come from the past. Oh, it's a wake up call. Yeah, we've been sleepwalking our way into a disaster because life got too comfortable. Uh, yeah. You know, the forest fires and the famines they've they've woken us up slowly because we've been watching it happen on the other side of the world but it's all coming a bit yes. close to comfort and when we get the mass migration from the people who are literally on the front line of climate change that's when the will properly wake yes. up and pay attention yeah. in the meantime we've got to think about a global solution um let's solve the problems of the world with some pasta with mushrooms kosho and toasted parmesan rind again parmesan rind it's the oh god of course it's the grand yeah. school use it Tastes Use great. it, and I and I and that was looking back because, in fairness, a lot of it, Italians are great at using everything. It's their tradition, you know. The the, the Italian granny, um, no matter what region she's in, she will have a different recipe, but they use everything. They're like, and and you'll see that in the book. There's quite a lot of a nod towards traditional Italian dishes that I've added more to, because it's a very easy country or food to look at and go, that makes sense. And so with the Parmesan rind, I know as a chef, you were told, you know, use it in stock, you know, put it into a soup, like a minestrone. You would put the rind in, then remove it. And I just go, hang on, I haven't achieved, I've got the flavor, but I've removed it. So it's still going to the bin. And it was playing around with the, with the, the idea of cooking it. And this came back to butchery because, you know, we would use pork crackling. And I was thinking, well, how could it, could that be an alternative to pork crackling? And I roast it in the oven and it, 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 I was like, oh, it was my eureka moment. It puffs up exactly like pork crackling. It's got that crunch like a pork crackling, but it's got the Parmesan flavor. So it's like, it's like a vegetarian's, uh, pork crackling. I thought this is delicious. And then on the pasta, because I was using Parmesan on the pasta, I thought, well, if I'm using the cheese, shouldn't I use the skin? You know, use all of it. And by doing that, it added this texture and crunch to the pasta. 
that I just thought, okay, this works. I need to tell everyone. <laughs> just Well, thank yeah. you for that. I mean, you know, we do rely on you, chefs. You are our, you know, lab scientists, you know, constantly sort of playing with your food and coming up with great yes. ideas. You know, that's, there are so many things that you can come up with. I mean, regrowing food, for example. That's a yeah. real lab moment, isn't it? Tell us it about is. that. And, and, and again, it, it, it was... I suppose the deeper you go into it, the more you want to try things or the more you understand. So it, it, it was with spring onions where it started. And I remember chopping up the spring onions at home and I had the little root left, a little hairy bit at the bottom. And I think, hang on, that's a root. So if I was a gardener, I would start my spring onions, you know, in a starter tray in a greenhouse. And then I would take them and that root and plant them. I think so if that is a root, then surely it can regrow. And I didn't, I, I like, I'm no good at gardening, but to me, I saw, okay, let's put it into water. Let's feed it. And I put it in water, like a little, just enough for the root to kind of submerge. Um, and within two weeks, I had another full scallion. I was thinking, hang on. So does this apply to ending with a root? So I did it with celery. I did it with lettuce hearts and all, and they all started to grow. And I was like, this makes sense because the root is the living part of the vegetable. That's what we plant. That's what grows. So by feeding the root, it will grow. And I was thinking, hang on, this actually works. So like I was able to buy scallions a year ago and never buy them again. And the funny thing is when they grow, it's a bit like a tree. So, you know, when you cut down a tree, you count the rings and that tells you the age. So with the scallions, as it regrows and you chop it and you regrow it and you chop it and you regrow it, it circles around how many that you see. So you're able to go, oh, I've regrown that one six times because it's got six little layers at the bottom where the original one was and how many times you've regrown it. So it's kind of like this just keeps coming back. It's like free food. Um, it, it still tastes great. You know, you can, you can use it just in water. You can plant it with the celery. I started it in water, got fresh shoots up the, up the center. Then I planted it in a pot and it grew back to a full celery. I was like, this, this is why, why aren't we doing this? Why, why, why aren't we talking about this? You know, cause to me, and, it, and I thought this works as well because, um, as we know, three quarters of the population live in urban areas. We don't have gardens. This can be done on the window, in your house, or in your apartment, or on a balcony if you have one. This can work in any environment that you're in. You don't, you don't have to be green fingered. Exactly. And it's such fun for a whole new generation as well. I mean, you know, we yeah. know that younger kids are, are now getting in, into food because of people like you doing really fun things like that. I mean, you are on telly. You're on the Virgin Media's six o'clock show. Um, yes. Zero, showcasing zero waste meals. I mean, the influence of TV chefs. I mean, I wrote a book a couple of years back called Taste and the TV Chef, and it was about the influence of TV chefs, you know, Jamie Oliver onwards. But then yes. TV, everybody stopped watching telly and went on to social media. And Instagram has a lot uh, of influence, a obviously, lot, in changing yeah. people's habits. And people like you, you know, you're all over that. And that's great. Tell me about the impact of, of something like the Six O'Clock Show. It's worked really well because I stuck to my my principles. And that's, and that's why, you know, it works well with the show as well. So I literally, when I'm doing a recipe... Um, I literally look in my fridge at home. So the, my idea is, okay, I'm on TV tonight and I'm not going to go to the shop unless I need to buy one ingredient, but I'm going to look at my house, which will have the same as probably 90% of the viewers. It's going to have leftovers. It's going to have some stale bread. It's going to, and then I get creative and think, what can I do with it? So I, I kind of stick to my guns and bring maybe three or four ingredients and transform them in a way that people go, what? Like I remember one time when the biggest, uh, um, 
uh, feedback was I, I brought in stale bread and I turned it into a chocolate cake, like an actual chocolate gado. So basically, because in my head, it was like, well, hang on, bread is made from flour. This is stale bread, which is stale flour. So if I turn this back into breadcrumbs and substitute that instead of flour and, and make a cake, a sponge, like, and it worked. And I was like, so people were eating and going, so this is a chocolate gado. I quite happily go into a coffee shop and pay for, you know, and you made it with stale bread. And so I'm trying to show the viewers, this is what you have in your home. You know, this is what you can do. And the, the segment is only eight minutes long. It's live TV. So to quick recipes, you know what I mean? It's going, you know, bang, bang, bang. Here you go, guys. Here's a lovely supper, brunch, dinner, cake, you know, um, and it's all based on leftovers. So depending on what time of the week I'm in, if I'm in on a Monday, I'm going to do a recipe with weekend leftovers. You know what I mean? If I, if it's midweek, I'm going to do something quick that you're halfway through the week, you're going to do your shopping in a couple of days. Let's empty the fridge out with something else. But I do it in a way that's fun and really easy that if you're not confident in the kitchen, you're going to go, hang on, I can actually give that a go. And I'm trying again, it's trying to get more people to see what we can all do as consumers. You know, what we can all do as people to make change that you don't have to be a chef to understand it. It's like, this, this is, you know, let's make this simple. Let's simplify it that everyone has access to it. So that's, that's what I, I try to do on, on the TV. And um, yeah, I mean, feedback is great. People are like going, wow, you know, you've really changed um, what, what I do in my house and, and food I throw away. And now all of a sudden I'm using up everything. And so where I bought food for maybe two meals, I'm now getting five meals out of it. So I fed my family for a week on half the budget. And, and that's, that to me is a win. That's, you know, you, you just, when you get feedback like that, you're going, okay, it, this is working. People are starting to see that actually we can all play a part. You know, we're, we're all, we're all citizens. We're all global citizens. We can all play a part because I do a lot of talks and, and the biggest feedback is people are overwhelmed and they don't quite know where to start. And I know that if you try to do everything at once, you're going to set up yourself to fail. So to me, it's like, take one step. Let's concentrate on, fruit that's gone that's soft in your home and i come up with like i did a strawberry blondies with um and i used the strawberry tops to just macerate with sugar and turn them into a sauce and then you know made the homemade yogurt on top from the leftover people going here's a dessert that i made with six overripe strawberries and and some out-of-date milk you know and so this and you know and it was done and ready in 15 minutes and people going oh my god i can do that i have these ingredients you know, this, this is, I don't have to go to a specialist shop to buy something, some far ingredient from, you know, wherever. And that's, that's what I try to do is really try to get people to see that, yeah, I can give this a go. Give them the confidence. Thanks for listening. Do check out my Substack for that chocolate and leftover loaf recipe in extra bites. See you next week.